Baptist Church, Charlotte. you are doing well. I hope our technology is working well. Uh, it can always be a bit of a challenge to uh, run um, multiple pieces of uh, techn technology at the same time and kind of you feel like a disc jockey, um, except I don't think that the beats are as good. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we are in a series um, really that's exploring the idea of spiritual and emotional freedom. I think this is one of the most important things that uh, modern humanity needs because we've learned how to fix um, so many of the things uh, that relate to uh, physical health. There's been tremendous explosion of knowledge there. Uh, things of just, you know, the order of our lives in the sense of basic shelter and food. And we've done so well there with those things. Um, the, the downside, however, is that we uh, still have all all of the problems of the soul and we still have all the challenges of the soul and i think one of the arenas in which god's testimony is most powerfully demonstrated is when god does in the soul what no uh, physician or uh, psychiatrist or uh, prescribed drug um, Nothing changes the human soul better than the presence of God with us. Uh, I think the greatest testimony of that is not simply what I as a, a preacher would say. Um, I'm double checking a couple things here, forgive me. Um, not the most important thing that just a preacher would say. Of course a preacher would say that, you might think. But the fact that almost all of the um, life change organizations that do 12-step programs. This is real-world life change. Uh, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the school of hard knocks. And all of them uh, start with an appeal, an acknowledgement of a higher power. Um, there is something that is made whole in the human soul uh, when we seek uh, direction and we seek uh, forgiveness from um, a higher power, they would say. But as Christians, we, of course, believe in um, our God as creator and our God with us as Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, we celebrate this. Um, I believe that the greatest testimony that God could give any individual is real spiritual and emotional healing. He paid the price for it. He has done the work for it. He has made a way for it. So all that's left for us to do is to believe, uh, receive, and uh, rejoice. Excuse me here for a moment. I'm having a, a monitor that's trying to run away from me. Here, we'll try that. Okay. Um, let me direct you to uh, our title here. Uh, our title for this lesson of Celebrate Freedom is Forgiveness. And in parentheses, you'll see living an unoffended life. Freedom and living an unoffended life. Uh, a bit of a odd title, but stay with me. I think you'll understand where we're going. Uh, last week, we talked about the the truth of uh, forgiveness as a necessary function of mercy, as a necessary uh, freeing of our soul. And if you did not, if you have not watched last week, please follow through these Bible studies. This is not about me talking. Uh, this is about me seeking to take the word of the Lord and 
put handles on the suitcase, so to speak, uh, make it eat, put it in a way that you can understand and carry. And so um, we started understanding this idea of real spiritual freedom, real spiritual healing, both of the spirit and the soul, um, emotional, in other words, um, uh, looking at the Garden of Eden, and uh, we first understood the images, the teaching images that were in, uh, shown in the Garden of Eden. And I'll give them to you real quick. First, you have this idea of a perfect garden. God divinely created it perfect. And he placed within this garden individuals who, although they have great knowledge and were, there was some part of them that was able to surrender their own judgment of things into God's hands. And although they had great ability, uh, great um, strengths and talents, um, they in some way lived in a state where they left justice and judgment in the hand of God. And they had duties, they had responsibilities in this perfect garden. Work was part of it. Uh, they uh, were caretakers of a garden. Only God could create it, but they were the caretakers of it. Um, they had definitional or taxonomical <laughs> duties of naming, do you see? Um, and they were presented a life choice. I call it a life choice because it was with them every single day. Two trees. One of them is the tree of life, which would make you like God. And one of them, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice, not the tree of knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, they had lots of knowledge, but there was a specific kind of deciding uh, that they were able to surrender to God. Um, uh, the serpent deceives Eve with a lie. Uh, Lucifer is the father of lies. Um, he makes his way through his being, his existence, by using lies to get to what he wants. He's a manipulator, um, and he uses lies to do it. He manipulates Eve. She is deceived. She eats of the fruit of the knowledge, not of just knowledge broad, but of good and evil, a specific category that in some creative way that um, we don't understand because it was a different creation. Uh, and we've never lived in that different creation. Uh, they had uh, no need to make these decisions of good and evil. They left that in the hands of God, and they lived lives of surrender. This is a teaching image. Um, now, this fruit uh, produces changes in them when they eat of this fruit. And now, whereas before they left this element of their lives in the hands of God. Now they have placed themselves in the role of competing with God, and that's a crucial idea. They're now competing with God. Not only will they judge one another, uh, they'll judge God. Not only will they decide what is right or wrong for themselves, but they will judge God with it. There's something here that I, 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 I hesitate to get into because there's some depth to it that I don't know if this is the best format to explore. But as a reflective exercise, um, I want you to think in the terms of the knowledge of good and evil. Once you are able to know and choose, you decide, know, and choose what is good and evil, um, you, you, you are a creature of actions. And so once you, ha once you live in that realm, you now can become the author of evil. 
because you choose. You there, perhaps was a time you didn't understand the evil involved. That part of you was not there. For example, um, you guys have heard me say this before: when a, when a crocodile um, kills its prey, it's not being evil. Um, it's being a crocodile. Um, uh, the, the crocodile, in a sense, has no conceptual um, view, opinion, or action on and uh, capability in its mind. So it cannot create an evil world. Um, but if you were to change, not say in the crocodile, because we have no idea what a crocodile, an intelligent crocodile would be like. Um, that's just a, an, an, a, a, an insight to see how for a, 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 a being, an animal that has no sense of good and evil, they cannot be, it cannot be the author of good and evil. But once we opened ourselves to good and evil and the deciding of it, we can decide to do good or evil. We can decide to love or hate. Um, we can decide to embrace or exclude. Um, and so we then, made in God's image, um, created a world in which we lived, and we inherited all the good and bad of it. Um, is the heaven, are the heavens beautiful? Yes. Um, but is the world filled with pain? Yes. Um, so we, trying to understand spiritual progress through this study we've done together, have, have tried to remind ourselves of how it's only through the innocence gifted to us by grace. In other words, Christ lived the perfect life and he gave us his report card to show to justice. So when we show our report card to the schoolmaster, so to speak, we're not, we're, we don't have our report card. Our report card's full of bad marks. We have Jesus's report card. Therefore, we can live a life of hope because we're not being judged by what we deserve. We're by being gifted a life we do not deserve. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if you don't celebrate this, then you are religious, but you're, you're blind to the gospel because the, the gospel fundamentally is Christ's accomplishment and Christ's goodness. And we are invited to be a partaker of it, which and having been a partaker of it, it creates in us a heart of worship. We are changed not by fear. We're changed by the heart of worship. Do you see? Um, all right. So we are invited, having been reintroduced to the possibility of living that way. Now, what does it mean for us? It does not mean for us that we go back to a childlike understanding. What it means for us is if we choose to, we can live a life of surrender. That's absolutely important. Our choice is not to go back to the innocence of, you know, a child who doesn't know right from wrong. That's not our option. That ship has sailed. Our option is to live a life of surrender where we will not touch that which is of God. We will not touch the ark. We've given that to God. And so we get out of the business. And that's why there's so much language in the New Testament of, of not judging people, not speaking harshly of people, um, believing good things about people, whatever is good, whatever is pure. It sounds like we all should gather in a circle and, you know, sing some uh, uh, feel good song, right? Uh, uh, no, actually, that is the way I leave judgment and justice in the hands of God. He's forgiven me so much. And I, I'm not going to go back to being like a child in my innocence. 
What I'm going to do is I'm going to live a life of surrender, do you see? I'm going to give it to God and let God judge. He will repay, not me. He will repay. Why is this so hard for Christians uh, to embrace? Why is it so hard for me to embrace? Why is it so hard for you to embrace? We want to surrender everything except judgment. We want to decide who's good and who's bad. And we live there, and then we wonder why we become uh, cynical. And we begin to live a life of criticism, cynicism, and comparison. This is the path that's shown to us as a warning in the New Testament more than any other t um, archetype type, rep more than any other warning, we're warned against the path of the Pharisee. Think about the consequences of that. There's plenty of sin going around. Uh, read some Greek or Roman history. There's plenty of sin going around. The Lord does not primarily warn us against those sins. He speaks of them as the way of the flesh, as if to say, yeah, that's the way of the flesh. What he warns us against is a false religion, a false way. He warns us as this archetypical idea against the way of the Pharisee. More than any other warning, it's there almost on every page. If he's not speaking against them, they're trying to kill him. They're trying to criticize him. And finally, they do succeed in killing him. And they find out that God's ways are so high above our ways that even when he loses, he wins. We just didn't understand the game. Uh, and so uh, living in spiritual order is to live a life of surrender, to acknowledge the condition of our hearts, to acknowledge the condition of our hearts, and to live a life of surrender. Uh, then we started getting into practical things. And the first thing we talked about as a practical thing was, um, and this was last week, uh, living lives of forgiveness. What does it mean to really forgive other people? Why is it so hard? And we talked about reasons, some of the reasons why it's hard for us is we don't oftentimes understand what it really is. We, want, we think it's something that it's not. Um, I encourage you to go back to, to read reread or uh, rewatch last week's we deal with that um, or watch it for the first time if you have it um, I want to do something a little different and I want to invite you to go on a journey with me through one of the great novels um, because the novel uh, does this exact has this exact goal of answering this question what do you do in a broken world a world that's unfair to you a rule a world that's cruel to you how do you live is it possible for us um, to step back from hating, judging, condemning others? Is it possible for us to learn the lessons of overcoming terrible injustice? In this novel, uh, which many of you had to read in either junior high school or high school uh, by the great French uh, novelist Victor Hugo, uh, has been turned into various forms of movies and um, uh, plays. Uh, I think it pronounced uh, Les Miserables, uh, the the miserable, or the really the. Uh, I think the the most accurate. I think I read somewhere the most accurate translation to English would be the wretched ones. Um, not the miserable, but the wretched ones. And it's about people who are on the losing end of justice. And um, there's various characters in it. Uh, the main character uh, who Victor Hugo does such a brilliant job of illustrating is uh, Jean Valjean. Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that too. 
Um, but the point of it is, is, is life can break you. Life can be totally unfair to you. So how does uh, Jean uh, go to prison? Well, he goes to prison because in a time of famine, he steals a piece of bread for his sister's children. His sister's children are starving because of the famine. And he steals a piece of bread. He gets caught. And the system is so harsh. Um, there's, there's, you can read about the, this, uh, you know, early 19th century France. Um, there's a reason why they had a revolution. Anyway, um, he is sentenced to five years hard labor because he stole a loaf of bread. And he's furious about that. He's enraged about this. He tries to escape several times. He's caught. He's sentenced, if I remember correctly, another 14 years of hard labor. And no, I did not reread the novel for this. I'm just trying to give you a sense of how this is not just a religious problem. And whether or not you go to church or not, whether or not you go to First Church or C3, um, if you suffer any injustice in, the, in your life, you're going to have to deal with this because there's something that is fundamentally, profoundly human about this question of how do we overcome wrongs that are done against us. So uh, 20 years in hard labor. And when he gets out, he's so... He is a, however bad you think prisons are now, they probably were worse back then. Um, men did not recently become violent. <laughs> they, um, you understand my point. He is a, not just a bitter, angry, violent man, but he's a man who has been lifting, picking up and setting down very, very heavy things every day, all day long. And so in the book, they talk about how these men who come out of hard labor, they're feared because of their ridiculous strength. Um, anyway, uh, his, he, he's mad at the world, hates the world, everything, but his heart is softened for the first time uh, when he, um, a bishop is kind to him and invites him into his house and he sees, it, basically, it's, it's not that big of a thing. Uh, the point the, the, the novelist is trying to make is that the goodness shown to him is in itself not that big of a thing. He's just kind to him. He's just kind to him. He doesn't, you know, pay his college debt. You know, he doesn't save his child. He's just kind to him, has him into his house, feeds him, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and the idea is, is, is what we talked about last week. If, let's say you've been done wrong. Let's say the world has hurt you. The world has broken you. If there's any goodness out there, are you justified? In other words, is, can goodness touch you? Can kindness touch you? Or are you so embittered that all you have is the path of uh, either rage, uh, this is the ballad of the angry man who has ever so much to say, but ever so few people who want to listen to him say it. Um, that's one path. Uh, the other is cynicism. That's the most common. I look for what is worst in the world so I can justify what is worst in me. Does that make sense? Um, but he's touched by this act of kindness and it, it causes him to reevaluate. What do I, a world has been so unfair to me. Um, he, uh, there's other characters introduced that reestablish this question. The, novel, the, the novelist is going to nail this question in, which is why I'm using it. Oftentimes the great novels and poems and songs and plays and even movies, um, they touch us in a way that a lecture of instruction, no, 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 dearly beloved, we gathered all together. That doesn't touch you. 
you may nod along, especially if you're religious, but um, it doesn't touch you. Whereas a story, um, a, a play, a novel, a poem, a song, um, a movie, it touches you in a way. Um, and so that's the reason why I, I use this as a tool to show you that it's not just the preacher wrestling with these things. It's not just this preacher wrestling with these things. Whether or not you strive to be spiritual or not, uh, you, you are living out this, this painful reality in some way. You're living it out. What do you do when the, with the pain, the injustice? Uh, like a child, that's not fair. And every good parent in the history of the world says, what is this business fair you're talking about? As if to say, if I let you go, grow to adulthood and you think the world is fair, I will have failed you in some fundamental way. If you can only show up with a good attitude working hard when things are fair, I have prepped you for failure in your life. If I'm gonna prep you for success, I'm gonna to have to teach you how to accept the, un the, the, the essential unfairness of the world and still show up with a good attitude, work hard, and watch how life is impressed less uh, by your character more than your talent. Anyway, moving along. Um, so the second question is is the story of, of a, a, a young woman who, um, uh, she is becomes pregnant out of wedlock by a young ro uh, nobleman, and of course he abandons her. And society is so cruel to her. And um, the 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 figure playing the role of justice is the French inspector. He's so so cruel in his fanatical pursuit of law, and 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 she is. She, she loses her good job in a print shop, if I remember correctly, and she ends up working in a warehouse that the main character, Jean Valjean, um, is, is running. How, how has he risen from prisoner to uh, factory owner and even mayor? By hiding who he really is, <laughs> by living a deceptive life so the world will accept him. Um, well, she... She's going to be, uh, to cut through the details, she's going to go to prison for six months. Um, her child, there's no one to care for her child. She dies young, ultimately. Um, and the main character, John, he adopts and raises her child and comes to love that little girl as her own as, as his own and that love that he develops for that little girl in some ways becomes the redeeming uh, force of, of how you can overcome uh, the profound injustice and unfairness of the world. Uh, the, the authors, again, not a preacher, not a clergyman, he's trying to show you something that's profoundly true about human, uh, the human heart. And the way uh, Jean really is is restored from this is through this love, and um, that's why if you see the classic novel um, in its original printings, um, the most common cover will have a little girl with a broom sweeping. Um, it, it, it this is the story, and so um, how does this is the essential question? This is the whole story right here in a nutshell. How do you respond to a world that is often cruel? Uh, often unfair and often unjust. How do you respond? How do I respond? Now, forgetting the fact that we're trying to be Christians, forgetting the fact that we're going to go to the word of the Lord and we're going to look at these principles biblically and we're going to talk about how Christianity gave the most radical, uh, profound answer to this. 
um, that the human heart has ever been exposed to. More on that in just a moment. Uh, But whether or not you buy that, whether you're an unbeliever or, you know, a non-church person or an atheist, the question doesn't go away. That's why the one of the great novels of the world, and there's more, more novels that deal with this. How do you respond? So um, the author gives us some moments in the novel. Um, one place he's talking about, one of the characters says, he who does not weep does not see, which is a fancy way of saying, of course the world's going to break your heart. If it doesn't, you're just blind. If you do not see the pain, the loss, the suffering, the sheer injustice, you just don't have eyes. Um, another, uh, uh, another great line from the book is this, to love or have loved, that is enough. Ask nothing further. There is no other pearl to be found in the dark folds of life. That's the essential question. How do we live in a cold, harsh world that does not care? It's not that the world hates you. The world doesn't know about you. It's indifferent to you. Um, Again, quote from the novel, even in the darkest, even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. Okay, here's one of my favorite. Remember this, my friends. There are no such things as small acts of kindness. Every compassionate act makes large the world. This is key. This is why the novelist doesn't, the kindness that touches Jean's heart is is nothing grandiose. It's just a small kindness and it touches his heart. This is the point. We are in our narcissistic, self-interested tendencies, always tempted to be at war with the world. We're always tempted to be at war with our um, anything outside our immediate surroundings. We create these borders of insiders and outsiders, and we're at war with anybody who's not like us. And we justify it, we excuse it. Um, but there is uh, not much hope for the world if we live in an eye for an eye philosophical context. Pretty soon the world is blind. Um, And so here the novelist makes this point. There's no small act of kindness because every time there's any act, and remember I'm about to jump to a biblical idea. Anytime there's any act of kindness uh, that makes large the world that has grown smaller and smaller, crueler and crueler. So here's the bigger, here's the biblical idea. There's no amount of darkness that can overcome the smallest amount of light. So if you're going to live the way of the flesh, you're going to live, you're going to be tempted to build you a little tree house, you know, in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you're going to look around you like a Pharisee. Who's good here? Who's bad here? Who do I like here? Who did I not like here? Then we're going to verbalize the contempt with which we live. God, I thank you. I'm not like that jerk over there. Blankety blank. Fool, loser, jerk. You're living death. You're living death. Death is threaded through every branch, fiber, and leaf of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're living death. You can never go back to where you no longer see from your um, awareness what you think is good and bad. But you're invited to live a life of surrender to where rather 
than living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You give that perception, judgment, angry feeling, uh, desperate anger, you surrender it to God. And you say, you've been so good to me, it makes no sense for me to hate anybody. You've blessed me so much, it makes no sense for me to talk bad about, you know, people down the road who I don't like. It's, it makes no sense of, for, of me to live this way. You've been so good to me. Remember this, my friends. There are no such things as small acts of kindness. Every compassion act makes large of the world. Two more quotes. I want to show you how um, the novelist wrestles with this idea of what do we do in a broken world? What do we do in a harm-filled, malevolent world of too much cruelty, too much hate? What do we do? You who suffer because you love, the author says, love still more. To die of love is to live by it. Okay, again, this is a Christian idea. No greater, greater love hath no man. And he laid down his life for a friend. And finally, uh, this is my final quote to show you how, whether or not you want to be a Christian, whether or not you want to, I don't know, you know, watch Bible study. <laughs> I want to show you that this is a fundamental, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I have bronchitis, fundamental question about what it means to be a human being in a fallen world. Um, this is a quote from the author, my favorite quote from the whole book. To love another person is to see the face of God. To love another person is to see the face of God. Um, all right, so God, through Jesus Christ, teaches us a whole new way of being and gives us directives of forgiveness, which if you've been around, you've, you've heard me preach and teach this many times, and not just me, but uh, elders, bishop, uh, other leaders, pastors in the church. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the biblical way of getting this right. What does it mean to be a person in a fallen, broken, in unjust, unfair world? Um, we have to live out a forgiveness that is counterculture. It's the opposite of mainstream society. It is counterintuitive. It's different than what you would expect. But if you follow it, you find that you are transformed in a way that no amount of revenge ever could transform you. Let me say it more than that. You, are, you discover that you're actually free. How? In Christ Jesus. And you're not just free from hate. You're free from needing to live a life of judgment. You don't just give, uh, receive forgiveness and give forgiveness. You surrender judgment to the hand of God. God's ways are counterintuitive to the flesh. They don't make sense to us. Let me, let me remind you of this by taking you to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 25. Uh, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble of birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things of the world and the things that are all that are not to nullify 
those things which are. This is just a reminder of this principle that doing it God's way, God's way is counterintuitive. So we're going to do forgiveness. We're going to do this whole story of how do we live in a broken world. We're going to do it God's way. So this leads us to a very, very um, important question, and that is this. How do we deal, or how we deal, let me make it a statement, not a question. How we deal with offense is perhaps the most radical philosophy in the Bible. How we deal with offense to the human mind is perhaps the most radical philosophy in the Bible. Um, because to turn the other cheek is the most, how shall I say, absurd to our, our, our calculating brains, our calculating brains and our manipulative hearts. It's the most opposite thing. And yet that is what Christ Jesus invites us to do. And he actually invites us to do these things. Pray for those who offend us. Bless those who offend us. And wait for it. Do good to those who offend you. Uh, this is an astonishing thing to uh, do. Um, Luke 6 and 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. That's, a, that's, that's how Jesus slaps you right across the face. If you're willing to listen, as if to say, look, I, I, I get that this is not going to be easy, and I get most of you aren't even going to try. But there, I'm not talking to everybody. I'm talking to a few people. So to those few people, let me say this. Um, love your enemies. Holy moly. I, I worry I'm not doing very good. Do good to those who hate you. What? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who curse you. Um, so we pray for those who have offended us. We bless those who have offended us. And we do good to those who have offended us. So let me um, take a quick break. Uh, how, how are you doing with that? Uh, how, how are you really doing? Um, uh, when you remember, how are you doing with that? Getting past your past is another way to say that is real spiritual healing real spiritual and you could say emotional that's spirit and soul um, real spiritual and emotional healing um, is when you get past your past and it's super hard I, I'm, I'm, I'm look I'm not gonna try to act like it's not it's super hard and I sincerely believe that being that being able to do it is is what spiritual and emotional healing um, actually feels like when it is lived out um, are there people in your life or the people in my life that we have not released to the Lord to say Lord I don't do judgment very well I'm giving it to you I am moving out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm getting out of the Pharisee business of looking to see who's better than me, who's worse than me. I'm getting out of all of that, and I am surrendering all that to you. In other words, I am getting out of the tree of death, <laughs> and I want to instead live in the tree of life. Um, how am I doing with it? How are you doing with it? Um, we have to accept the fact that one of the trials, troubles, and temptations of the Christian is uh, inability to get beyond the past. Whether it is uh, um, 
in some way almost insulting the Lord by not forgiving ourselves. <laughs> um, look, he's the only one who has a right. And when you won't forgive yourself, you're saying you have the same right God does. Um, uh, whether or not you are casting away your confidence, this is a very real thing that Christians fight. Um, however it's playing out in your life or whether there's people you haven't forgiven um, uh, until we get past the past um, we, uh, we're going to struggle and we're not going to live in spiritual freedom until we get past the past we're not going to live in spiritual liberty. We're not going to live in the abundant life of Christ's promise. Um, so, uh, very quickly, and I, I'm, I'm going to try to end sooner tonight than I did last week. I went a bit long last week as my wife most kindly um, uh, reminded me. Three responses to the past, none of which work. Okay? Three responses, none of which work. Number one. Try to bury the past. Um, you might as well try. Everybody else tries. Does it work for them? No, but hey, you might as well try, right? Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. The Bible also gives us an image of this in James chapter number five that in some way connects our confession of sin and our praying for one another to our healing. In other words, to be spiritually whole, we need to confess and pray one for another. That is where healing comes from. We have to move beyond, move beyond the past. Um, this is, uh, there are oceans to swim in here, but I don't have oceans of time, so let me move along. Uh, I just want to say, I have tried to bury it. You've tried to bury it. It doesn't work. There's a better plan. And that is the biblical instruction of repentance, confession, surrender, new life in Jesus Christ. Number two, here's the second thing, uh, the second plan. This also doesn't work, but hey, everybody tries it. Um, we beat ourselves up. We live in the land of regret. We live lives of if only, but there's a problem. Uh, if only is a trap. What does this trap do? It freezes you in the present, and therefore, it limits your future. Let me say it again. We tend to live when we are in some way trying to beat ourselves up as a petition to justice. What we do is um, we make this mistake of uh, living if in this realm of if only, which is a trap. And the if only trap freezes you in this moment and limits you in uh, the future. Uh, let me go back and read from David. Um, this is from Psalms 38. And this is, of course, after he's been confronted with his sin, tremendous sin, adultery, uh, a murder, uh, well, a manslaughter. Uh, no, it was premeditated. It was murder. Um, he says, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked with pain. All day long I walk around filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me and my health is broken. I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. Um, yeah, beating yourself up, it seems like a good idea because it makes you feel better 
in some way. As though you can, and here's the deception, you can move justice through pity. That's like a child running out to the parents with a belt and saying, I know I've been bad. Here, I will whip myself. Did that ever work for you when you were young? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, uh, we, we have to uh, get beyond this beating ourselves up. Confession, repentance, surrender. This is the path. The third one that we do. And again, this doesn't work, but everybody tries this. Um, we beat ourselves, or excuse me, we blame others. Now, this is as old as the story of Adam and Eve. Um, it was the woman who made me eat it. And the woman is like, oh, it was the serpent. And the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. Yes, you've heard that. Um, we seek to blame others in some way as a justification um, of this. And let me be, let me, let me kind of put all this, all of this. Now, if you'll notice, last week we talked a lot about forgiving others, and this week we're talking about forgiving ourselves. Um, all of this is a, um, however well-meaning these three things are, it's all solutions that allow us to stay in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where we will decide when we've repented enough, and we will decide whether or not we're good enough, and we will decide who is good and who is bad, and we'll do anything but surrender. But uh, this is not where spiritual healing comes from. Spiritual healing comes from, yes, surrender, but back up. Yes, confession, back up. Yes, repentance. There's something that happens in this, this process that is very biblical. Um, let me read, um, let me, I don't know if I have this in my, in my notes. Um, uh, no, I don't. I, I want to read this from uh, Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, even though I was, excuse me, <coughs> even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy say that, saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Excuse me. All right. What is the right path to get past the past? And I'm almost done, so um, you can just uh, give me a couple moments more. What is the right path to get past the past? Um, the first thing I would say is change our way of thinking. You remember that from earlier in the study of getting out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? We have to change our thinking. It's the patterns of our thoughts that the enemy uses to keep us in a type of a bondage and, and a hold of, of restraint. We have to change our thinking um, and we have to stop trying to earn forgiveness. When we are earning forgiveness, we are saying, I, I look, I'm willing to be more religious than I've been, but I'm not getting out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, I'm not going to surrender justice to God. I'll still decide who's good and bad. Now, if you want to live that way, by all means, you will have many, many co-journeyers on this journey. That's a broad way. 
Um, it's much harder, it's crazy hard to live lives of real surrender where we, 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 we give this to God. I, I, I'm not going to decide when I've earned forgiveness. I'm going to surrender that to you. Um, here's the thing. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the most revolutionary of all the world religions in terms of solving the problem of evil in the human soul, um, the gospel comes along and tells us that Christ has done good for us. He has lived the perfect life we are incapable of living, and He has given us the, the benefit of that, that life. There's no earning salvation. Um, what there is, is a receiving through faith in Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice, receiving His salvation. He deserved, not us, He deserved it. We're given His. Why are we given it? He promised it to us. Why is faith necessary? Because He promised it. We live in the cleaving to that promise. That's why the patriarchs is shown to us, this image of cleaving to a promise. The whole life, clinging to a promise. The Lord lived the perfect life. We couldn't live it. He said, I'm going to give you the credit for it, and you'll be saved. The salvation I deserve, you'll be saved. You just have to believe, hold to this promise. Like Abraham walking through the deserts of his life, saying if God said he would do it, he would do it. Are you starting to see parallels? I hope so. Um, Ephesians 2 and um, 8. Uh, Ephesians 2 and 8. I think I have this here in your notes. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one uh, can boast. The price has been paid. Forgiveness has been given. It's not earned. You say, well, oh, that doesn't seem right because you're still in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you will not surrender to God. You want to agree with God. God is on probation in your life, hoping that you agree with him. So then he gets to be God as long as you agree with him. It's not how we live. That is a life of pharisaical, judgmental, cynical death. That's what that is. You live in a life of criticism, cynicism, and comparing yourself one with another. I, look, knock yourself out. I've been there. I've lived too much of my life there. I'm tired. I'm really, really tired. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to talk bad about people. I, I'm, I'm done with it. I don't want to hear bad things about people. And it doesn't make me good. It makes me exhausted. <laughs> okay, moving along. Um, we have to stop trying to earn this thing. Secondly, um, we have to receive God's forgiveness by faith. In other words, to receive forgiveness is just as much an act of believing the promise of God as is believing in the beginning God created the heaven and earth. Um, he, this is freeing your heart. How? By a promise. You free your heart by a promise. It comes along and you grasp it. You grasp it. You touch the hem of his garment. You're changed by this promise. So uh, let me let me show you uh, something. This is a great quote. Uh, I'm almost done, I promise. Almost done. Uh, George Hinckley in his book, great book, Stand, Standing for Something, subtitle, 10 Neglected Virtues That Will Heal Our Hearts and Homes. 
Quote, the willingness to forgive is a sign of spiritual and emotional maturity. It is one of the great virtues to which we all should aspire. Imagine a world filled with individuals willing to both apologize and to accept an apology. Is there any problem that could not be solved among people who possess the humility and largest largeness of spirit and soul to do either or both when needed? All right, this idea of being willing to forget to to forgive as a sign of spiritual and emotional uh, uh, maturity. God is our highest ideal. He is all that is good. There is no higher understanding than him. Of course, he would be willing to forgive because he's at such a higher plane. He would find a way to forgive and he would say, I do it for my name's sake. This is who I am, not you. Over and over and over in the Bible, this is who I am. And to believe in a God who will not forgive is to believe in a God that's smaller than a mature human who is tired of living with bloody hands. Does that make sense at all? Of course, God, he is the highest good. He is the most beautiful star in our sky. He is all the potential of the human aesthetic when you're smote and bowled over by beauty and you don't even know what makes it beautiful, but you find yourself speechless. God is all of that. Times 10, times 10, times 10, times 10. Run out of zeros. God is all of that. Infinity has consequences. He's all of that. Of course he would find a way to forgive. Celebrate that forgiveness. Stop being a Pharisee and start being a worshiper. Be a son of Korah, forgiven at the entry of the church. Everybody should come in. Everybody should come in. God has been so good to me. Um, and so uh, this quote, which I actually had in my notes, but I, I didn't show to you here. Willingness to forgive is a sign of spiritual and emotional maturity. Um, but let me move along. Uh, lastly, and we'll finish with this. Um, we need, we have to be willing to defeat the lie with the truth. More, we have to defeat every lie with the truth. Um, even Jesus defeated lies with the truth. Remember the temptation of Christ? He would be tempted. What would he do? He would quote the scripture back to Lucifer. Defeat the lie with the truth. So let me end by saying this. Everything you feel, I'm not good enough. There's no hope for me. There's no mercy for me. I'm stuck. The more you feel that way, the more you need to quote scripture that answers it is the truth that cannot be a lie. You need to quote it back to yourself. If Jesus did it, I'm pretty sure it would be good for all of us uh, to do it. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Uh, if you're with other people, maybe you could pray with them, take their hand, whatever, whatever works. I'd like you to bow your head right now. And uh, I want us to pray together. You'll be able to hear the, 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 the tone and the style of my prayers. You can follow with your own prayers or you just can join me in this moment. Lord, uh, we, we should start by confessing that real forgiveness is, is just really, really hard for those of us who live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, we have such an imperfect view of justice, even when we form institutions. And, uh, we, get, we get injustice. It's, it's like threaded through every fiber of our being. Uh, and the result of this is, is hatred. The result of hatred is everything from murder to war. Um, 
hatred, hatred is so threaded through the human condition that it's just heartbreaking. Um, and any moment on social media will fill you with this uh, projectile vomit of hatred that is hurled into our faces. It's unbelievable, particularly with two wars going on right now, going into a political season and the rise of every man has a platform and there's a billion facts that anybody can reference. And what you do is you just find the facts that fit your version of the truth. You don't even ask yourself the ethical foundation of what's going on. You just blast your angry rage into the world and the rest of us deal with it. And Lord, I don't know where this has taken us, but it's a, it's a painful day. We struggle with forgiveness. We struggle with judging, hating, accusing. We struggle with our past, forgiving others and forgiving ourselves. And Lord Jesus, in both cases, we're firmly hanging by our neck in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if we've offended, if we've trespassed in any of the law, we're guilty of all of it. So there we hang like Judas in our tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Lord Jesus, I pray, let us start with me, oh God. Let, let me, I, you know my heart, Lord. You know I've tried to get out of this business of, uh, you know, Lord, you know my heart. Help me to do better than I've done at it and help me to teach it as a spiritual way. It will be unsatisfying to a lot of people. They, they, they need to see the uh, sin of others to feel better about themselves. Um, or maybe they've fallen into a vanity problem and the only way their religion makes sense is if they can brand themselves as more pure or more holy or more righteous. And we're the real church. That's all broken people hanging by their necks from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want it, oh God. I don't want it. Would you help me to receive your mercy? Would you help me to forgive anyone who has done me wrong? And more importantly, oh God, would you forgive me for any time I've done anybody wrong? Would you forgive me and help me get out of the painful past that too often I cannot get past? And help me to live in newness of life where I surrender all this stuff to you. Is the man good or bad? Is he an angel or a devil? I, I don't know. I, I'm leaving that with God. I can't live there. I've got to focus on what's good, what is righteous, what is noble, what is true, what is helpful. I've got to, I've got to live there. Or my faith will become pretense and my ro ro holiness will become a form of holiness, an attainable goal that I can celebrate myself with and judge others by not a wrestling of my heart, not a pounding on my chest saying, what is my real motives? Not a prayer closet where I say, Lord Jesus, where's my selfishness in this story? But a, a, a form of holiness, a test where I have the answer guide. Lord Jesus, I don't want to live that way. Save me from it. I want to seek you. I know that won't make me good. And I know I'll still be capable of every evil thing that's within the human heart because it's all in me. But Lord Jesus, I can hope to be a worshiper of your goodness. 
I can hope to have the testimony of your goodness. I can hope to stand at the door to your house with the sons of Korah and say, y'all all should come on in because we're not even supposed to be here and look at us. They made us the greeters. That's what we're looking for, Lord. To love mercy, to walk justly, to love mercy, to, to do it all humbly before you. In Jesus' name, I pray for the individual who is not over the past. God, help them to develop a discipline of prayer, a discipline of confession. I pray for the person that is still trapped in their pain, even hate. I pray, Lord, that you would introduce them to some spiritual mentor who they can confess and they can grow through the healing of praying one for another and the act of that confession. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in us. And when people spend time with First Church people, C3 people, with one church, two locations, help them to sense that in us, that we, we're not looking to talk bad about anybody. Uh, if you want, there's plenty of churches, they'll eat that up. You go, go there. That's, uh, that's not what we're looking for. God, I pray. It, it, look, it's easy to come to church and clap hands and wave hands, but in the fellowship of our lives, I pray, Lord Jesus, that there, that there would be a, a hold harmless clause in our heart. We're not looking to, 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 to harm, to, to hurt, to gossip, any of that. Cleanse us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week in, week in Jesus' name. Uh, multiple services. Check out our websites. Um, uh, Christ Community Church in Concord. Uh, First Church Charlotte. Um, probably have a service for you. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.